Joining us now, uh, he makes the magic happen for the Salt Lake Tribune. He covers the Utah Jazz. We welcome him back to the big show. He is Eric Walden. What's going on, Eric? Oh, not much. Just uh, bringing some of that Tribune negativity to the airwaves. <laughs> what do you think uh, about your guy, Robert? By the way, do I pronounce it, his last name in my head, Gerke, but I have a feeling it's Gerke. Yeah, I should check with both of you guys. Which is it? Gerke, yeah. Gerke, Gerke okay. is All correct right. on that. It, yeah. you, that's one of those things like, Eric, I don't know if you've ever read the Lord of the Rings books, but did, did you ever read those and pronounce things in your head and then you see the movie? You're like, wow, I was way off. <laughs> I mean, not those, but, like, yeah, that happens with stuff all the time. So, yeah, I'll, I'll read a book, I'll pronounce it one way, and then I'll listen to the audio book, and it'll be, like, something different. I'm like, well, fine, if, they, if that's how they want to go with it. <laughs> well, see, it is that, only his name. That, you know, Eric, I should probably see, get it right. that really bothers me, not getting the name right as you're reading. Because you, you see it over and over and over again, and if, it's, if, you're, if you're thinking of it wrong, then that's somehow uncomfortable. In my mind. But you mispronounce names constantly. How could you actually have that opinion? Do I now? You, right. There's Austin's got a whole re- reel of clips of you. <laughs> okay, anyway, we brought Eric on to talk jazz. And yeah, by the way, did. Eric, I think you're a positive guy. You're, maybe you're the, 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 the black sheep over there. You're, oh, you're, you've got a positive please, attitude please, on life. Knock it off. Well, yeah. I mean, just, it not... just shows how little you know me, Jake Scott. <laughs> All right, Eric. Well, here's where I want to start because I really uh, enjoyed, I guess it was last week, um, your story about Quinn Snyder. I, I learned a lot from reading it. And I guess uh, my question, the, did you learn a lot from writing it? Oh, absolutely. I learned a lot. You know, it was, I've been telling people like the genesis for the story came about uh, when we talked to Quinn at the All-Star game when, you know, for him, it was just another line he threw out there. He was like, yeah, you know, before I came to the Jazz, I moved. I moved five times in five years and like that just really kind of resonated with me you know what a what a unique kind of uh career path that was because you just don't see that too often among guys who become nba head coaches and so that really kind of got me thinking and and i started reaching out to you know I, I started looking up who was on these teams and and started reaching out and man yeah like it was as much fun for me to put together as, as it was for a lot of people to read. And I don't say that, you know, arrogantly, it's just based on the feedback that I've gotten. Yeah. Like, you know, getting to talk to, uh, you know, I, I, downloading WhatsApp so that I could talk to Ettore Messina in, in Italy, you know, and, and hearing him talk about Quinn, you know, getting to talk to uh Grizzlies coach Taylor Jenkins for 25 minutes while he's telling me that, you know, it used to be his job to like, hustle through whatever airport they were in and look through all the coffee shops or bars because Quinn was going to miss their flight and it was his job to find them. You know, just there were all sorts of stuff that came up, uh, you know, as a result of talking to other people. And then, you know, by virtue of me doing that, uh, I believe that's what made Quinn feel comfortable enough to agree to the story. Because, I mean, as you guys know, Quinn is not a real, real eager generally to kind of put himself out there and 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 you know tell personal things about himself he likes to keep his his private life private but um yeah i think i think the the depth and scope of people who i was able to get a hold of and and get stories from and get background from really kind of was what you know put him over the edge because he was one of the last people that i spoke to for this story to be honest i didn't know if we were going to get him 
I had put in, you know, a request to, to talk to him for several weeks and was told he was interested, but was, you know, mulling it over. He was considering it. And, and then finally, yeah, just a, a few days before I had to turn it in, uh, he, he finally agreed to it. And yeah, just an, an incredible conversation. Uh, that reminds me, Eric, of that uh, story that Rick Riley did in SI back in the day on Patrick Ewing, and he was trying to get Patrick uh, to uh, to give him some time, and he kept missing him, kept missing him. So, so Rick was calling everybody else, and so as he wrote the story, he was including the comments from everybody else except for Patrick Ewing in a feature about Patrick Ewing. And then finally, Patrick Ewing called, and like the, at the very end of the story, it he quoted, uh, "Hey Rick, this is Patrick Ewing," and it was just dot dot dot. That's how he ended the story. But people don't really understand how hard it is and how much work it takes to get a hold of all those people that you talk to for that story. But it does help when you you bring up a subject that they like talking about, and I got the sense that all of those sources liked talking about Quinn. Yeah, for sure. So that's that's what made this thing interesting because yeah, I mean, for a while I I was kind of starting to, to worry that you know this was going to be a Quinn Snyder feature without Quinn Snyder in it, you know. And so I felt like okay, I'll get as in depth as I can with those other people and and just keep hoping for Quinn. But yeah, that was that was the interesting thing for sure, Gordon, is that uh, Quinn has has really left a mark on all these people who I spoke with, you know, whether it was Carl Dell, Squeaky Johnson, former point guard of the Austin Toros, or or whether it's, uh, you know, Mike Budenholzer, now now head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, like, every person I talked to had an interesting story to tell about Quinn, and they were so eager to talk. I mean, this is thing. It's like, it's pretty unprecedented for, to get, you know, an NBA head coach to give you 15, 20, 25 minutes of their time. But, you know, whether it was Mike Brown or whether it was Coach Bud or whether it was, you know, Taylor Jenkins or, you know, I, I finally got Doug Collins to call me as well. He was uh, he was the very last person I spoke to. We spent half an hour on the phone and he's just, you know, telling me about Quinn. Is a, he considers Quinn Snyder a member of his family. Right, this is a relationship that started because Quinn was an assistant coach at Duke, who helped Doug Collins' son, uh, you know, get back in game shape after after breaking his foot and taking a major leap from his junior to senior years of playing, and that led to, uh, you know, after Quinn got fired from Missouri, you know, uh, that that led to an invite out to Doug Collins' house out in Arizona, and and a lifelong friendship. So, yeah, every single person I spoke to just had been touched by Quinn. And, um, you know, he'd, and he'd been touched by them as well. So, yeah, the stories were just fascinating to me. Did you get any feedback from Quinn on it? Sorry, what was that? Did you get any feedback from Quinn uh, on I did story? get some feedback. Yeah, I, I did get some feedback from Quinn. Um, I, I won't go into all of it because, again, some of it was 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 definitely meant to be private. But, um yeah, he, he he just expressed his gratitude and, and appreciation, and, and um, you know, I'll go ahead and say this, and I hope I'm not embarrassing him, but he apparently liked it enough that he told me that uh, he was grateful I had written it because it would be something that his, his kids would read about him one day and have a better understanding of, of kind of his path. 
So, you know, it, man, that, that, that choked me up. That brought some, you know, it, it's not hyperbole to say, like, I got all the fuels from that. Yeah. yeah what a compliment. Cool. Yeah. yeah, that's 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 really amazing. And it was, it was a great story, Eric. You did, a, you did a terrific job. It was really insightful. And actually, for any of our listeners, uh, if they didn't have a chance to, to read it, I would encourage you to do so. Well, obviously, sltrib.com. Uh, you can follow Eric on Twitter, at TribJazz, and I'm sure Eric's got links throughout his, his Twitter feed. Um, I want to ask you about the series, Eric. And, you know, as always, we were joking about the Robert tweet, but certainly you can look at positives and negatives. But what are your ultimate takeaways from beating the Grizzlies, the Jazz beating the Grizzlies in five? Uh, so what I would say is, you know, I, I get where both I get where both David where where David and and Robert are coming from. In that, um, I never really got the sense at any point in the series, even after the game one defeat, that the Jazz were in trouble. Right? Clearly, they were the more talented team. Clearly, they had superior firepower. Clearly, they had more experience. Um, and you know. They didn't shoot the ball well at all in game one, and, and Memphis stole one. Um, you know, we heard from the Jazz all series long, and we and we heard it again from Donovan and, and Rudy postgame last night, just giving incredible credit to the Grizzlies for what they did, for their resilience. You know, Donovan at one point said, the Grizzlies are a team that they can go down 30, and they're not going to quit. And, you know, to their credit, we, we saw that in game five last night, but... At the same time, like, you know, I, I don't know that anyone who was watching that series ever really truly believed that Memphis had a shot to win four games in it, right? And, and I mean, that bears out by the fact that the Jazz finished it off in five games. Uh, they absolutely smoked them in game five. And the thing was, you know, e- even in those moments when the Jazz struggled throughout the series, they were moments. You know, they, they, they'd lose focus for a little bit. They'd have some shots not go in. The defense wouldn't be quite at the level they needed it to be. Uh, you know, stop moving the ball, whatever the issue was. And, and you know, Memphis keeps playing, keeps playing hard, makes a run at it, maybe even retakes the lead, and then the Jazz adjust, right? They, they do what they, they do whatever they needed to do. They, they were able to flip that proverbial switch. Not that I felt like, you know, they were ever sandbagging and, and waiting to turn it on, you know, quote unquote. But um, yeah, the Jazz were just a far better team. And I don't expect it will be that easy against whoever they play in the second round. So, Eric, let me let me ask you a general question. You've seen all these playoff teams play. You've seen the guys that the Jazz will probably end up playing. With the way the Jazz are playing or with the way they're capable of playing, how far do you think this team is is able to go? I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> NBA championship, Gordon. You know, this this team is that good. This team is this team is as good as any team in the league. You know, they're they're up there with a fully healthy LeBron James and Anthony Davis Lakers team. They're up there with, and, and maybe better than that, they're up there with a Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden Nets team. You know, if if this team plays up to its capability, if uh, Mike Conley's hamstring is is not too badly hurt, if they have some injury luck, if they have some, you know, bounces of the ball luck, like this team could be hosting the Larry O'Brien Trophy at the end of at at the end of it all. You know, 
does not say they're the favorites to do it or they're definitely going to do it or they absolutely even should do it. You know, the playoffs are, are, are a fickle beast and you never know what's going to happen, but this team is, is, is good enough that it could happen is my point. Eric, I, I want to ask you this, and if I've actually asked you something similar in the past, I apologize, but uh, I sometimes understand Rudy Gobert's frustration about recognition because in traditional ways, ca- casual fans evaluate the game, box scores, sports center highlights, those sorts of things. Just don't do Rudy Gobert or his impact on the game justice. It, ju- it just doesn't. So when you're talking to folks, uh, you know, fans, maybe people around the league that don't watch the Jazz every night, and they ask you to to describe how valuable Rudy is. How do you do that? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question because, yeah, I, I do get that a lot talking to people. And, um, yeah, Rudy is absolutely one of those guys who we appreciate him because we see him every night and we get a chance to, to witness the nuances and subtleties of his game up close and in person and over and over again. You know, and, and these are the things that, don't show up on, you know, the ESPN top 10 list. But uh, what I tell them is the Jazz are able to build their entire defensive system around Rudy Gobert, right? This is this is a team that finished, what, top three, four, five in defensive rating this year. This is a team that limited opponents to the fewest number of three-pointers made per game this year. And that's because they've designed their entire system around Rudy Gobert's unique and special talent uh, to erase people in the paint and at the rim. So, you know, the other four guys can overplay guys on the perimeter. They can funnel them inside. They can do whatever they need to do to keep them from hoisting up threes, knowing that they've got the ultimate insurance policy behind them. So that's what I tell them about, about Rudy defensively. Offensively, you know, what do you say? Okay, Rudy's never going to be a 20-points-per-game guy. He just doesn't have the offensive consistency in terms of post moves, in terms of, uh, you know, ability to catch passes consistently. Even though he's improved there over the years, you know, you still once or twice a game see him fumble one away that you're like, ah, man, if, if Rudy had got that. But at the same time, uh, he's absolutely a threat rolling to the rim, right? Like, if you leave, if you don't pay enough attention to him there, he's savvy enough and smart enough that he'll just throw down six dunks a game on you. Um, and then on the other side, once you do start to make the moves to take that away, that's extra space, extra room, less attention on the three-point shooters. And beyond that, the, the thing that I most tell people is, why and, and, and how do you think the Jazz get as many open threes as they do? Like, I know I know, lots of people like to make fun of the screen assist stat. Like, oh, man, that's, that's a made-up thing that the Jazz hold on to, like, to build Rudy up. Like, watch Rudy set screens one game. Like, rather than paying attention to, you know, Donovan's dribble moves and ability to get into the paint – like seriously, spend spend some minutes of a game watching Rudy Gobert set screens and watch how open guys get as a result. And it's just, you know, that's that's a thing that the average fan is not going to pay attention to, and it certainly doesn't show up on the stat sheet. But that absolutely makes him one of the most important and integral guys on this team. 
Eric, last night we saw the Jazz come out of the gate and hit all those shots and look so comfortable doing it. What What is the deal with the Jazz when they, when they get hot like that and then when you compare it when they when they go cold, what what makes the difference? I mean, wouldn't we all love to know that, right? Like, I, I'd teach <laughs> shooting clinics, and I'd be a multimillionaire, and I could afford a house on the hill like yours, Gordon. But um, nice, I, I'd, I'd have my own Cliff Kingsbury estate, you know. Uh, I think honestly what it comes down to is, you know, they've imported guys who are elite shooters and then they've put in a system that, uh, you know, includes a couple of guys in, in Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley who are absolutely, uh, brilliant at kind of creating space one and then finding open guys two and then three capable of hitting shots themselves. So, you know, I think that's why we've seen the the horrible shooting games be so infrequent this year. That's why we've seen this team set the NBA record for most three-pointers made per game over the course of the season. It's because they've got shooting talent and they've got the scheme that exploits, you know, uh, opposing defenses' weaknesses and enables these guys to get open. And is it going to work every time? No. You know, that's that's why people say live by the three, die by the three. And that's absolutely true of this team, but they've lived by it a whole lot more than they've died by it this season. Eric, thank you so much for jumping on with us. Enjoy your coverage and uh, looking forward to hopefully a fun second round. I don't think it's going to be fun, Jake. Is that negative enough for you? (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty negative considering NBA playoff basketball is pretty fun. If you were a betting man, Eric, which of those teams do you think the Jazz are going to have to face? Ah, uh, you know, we were we were some of us who traveled to Memphis were discussing this. I still see the Clippers coming out of it, but um, you know, either way, it, it, it's going to be interesting. I think I think the Clippers are too talented. I like them having two guys capable of making clutch shots as opposed to the one the Mavs got. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say that the Los Angeles wins these next two games in that series, and uh, we're facing Kawhi in the second round. Yeah. I think the Clippers are better, too. Interesting they they lost last night. Uh, Eric, thank you. You're the best. We appreciate you. All right. Take care, guys. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune, covers the Utah Jazz, and you can follow him on the uh, uh, on Twitter, at Trib Jazz, which, by the way, is a very historic Twitter account. It goes all the way back to Ross Seidler when he mm. covered the Jazz for the Tribune. Good guy, Ross. Saw him tweeting at Clowkey over the weekend. He's up there. Ross is an attorney in Seattle he now. Is. But he's, he's a lawyering. Big... A yeah. uh, big uh, uh, Mariners fan, and Clocky was hanging out at the Mariners game. But uh, uh, the trip, to your guys' credit, uh, Gordo, you you guys have had a run of, of talented people covering the – well, really all teams. I don't want to sell anybody short. But, you know, that, that trip jazz account has been uh, controlled by some good writers over the years. Yeah, all good guys, too.